So what would you do for that touch of mink, Brett? Oh, what wouldn't I do? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just to touch that sweet, sweet fur? um, Oh, I thought you meant the touch of mink on me. Like, what would I be willing to do to be, uh, like, a spoiled, rich... No, no, that's... That's what I meant, but okay. also, have you ever touched mink? It's very soft. I don't know. I've pet a chinchilla. They're very soft, but I don't know if I've actually ever pet a mink. You wouldn't because usually they're killed and turned into stoles and coats. Right. But uh, if you were rich and had a rich billionaire sugar daddy, then you get to touch that mink all you want. Sounds gross. <laughs> yeah, it, it came out way more suggestive than I meant it to be. Um, but but you, but also, you would I do mean, anything but, to be a well-kept man in riches and furs? Oh, yeah, for sure. I would definitely go on vacation with him. Uh, would you have sex with Cary Grant so that he'll take you to Bergdorf Goodman? I mean, if if I have to. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All um, right. That, go, okay, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, let's, let's get into it. Let's do it. are necromancer necromancer i'm shira and i'm a fan of rom-coms i'm brett and i'm a fan of horror movies what do we do here every week brett well every week we watch a movie based on a theme and uh you pick a horror movie or i'm sorry (laughs) and you pick a rom-com i pick a horror movie and then we remix the movies we turn the rom-com into a horror and the horror into a rom-com 10 out of 10. That is correct. And now we have returned to a theme that we do uh, rarely, but I enjoy it. What movies were made in 1962? Uh, We have done 1972. And then we fast forwarded to 2000 uh, a little bit later. And then we decided, hell, let's go back to 1962 this time. Uh, a lot less groovy than uh, 1972. I, I'd say that, that the people in 1972 were having uh, more fun uh, than the people in 1962. If, in fact, it seems like the people in 1962 are just complaining about all the fun they could be having. And I want to tell them, just wait a decade and then everybody wants to fuck. Yeah. uh i agree i didn't think about it that much but yeah when you when you compare the rom-com of what what was the one that you picked oh a new leaf elaine she was not shy about getting the sex it was uh walter matthau who uh would rather pretend to have a case of the hives 
Yeah, and then uh, the extreme op. I would say Carnival of Souls and Doctor Abominable Fives are extreme opposites when it oh, comes yeah. to pretty much everything. Well, I mean, it's it's basically the difference between a minimalist apartment and a maximalist McMansion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like we're both part of the more is is better school. So I, you know, I I would say that I would rather spend time in 1972 serial killers and all than spend even 10 minutes in 1962. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> So, which of our 1962 movies should we get into first? Um, I feel, let's just get that touch of mink. Let's just get that one. That touch of stink? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm fine with that. So, I know that we... um, I know that I kind of dictated or, you know, I I steered the ship in the course of Carnival of Souls for this one. And I gave you a bunch of topics that it could be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then you jumped on theme of 1962 and said, 1962, let's do that. I'll, I'll report right back. And then minutes later, you had that touch of mink. So why, why did this one stick out of all the movies? All the rom-coms, 62. Okay, in my defense, and I will say that this time I hated this movie as much, if not more, than you did. Like, I I would say (laughs) that this is on the level of um, the truth about cats and dogs. I mean, I don't think any rom-com we've watched has made me angrier than that movie, but this one was close. This one was close. Um, But... um, If you actually do a search for rom-coms in 1962, man, it's just scraps. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know, like maybe like we could have done a carnival theme. Maybe, maybe we could have done a, an afterlife theme, but, but I just, you know, I don't be mad. (laughs) Have you seen this one before? No, no, I haven't, but I'm, I'm a fan of Doris Day and, you know, we had, a really great talk when it came to pillow talk, but pillow talk is pillow talk. Yeah. And that touch of mink is not pillow talk, but you know, the choices like, like as far as like rom-com movies made in this, this era, this time, there really were not a lot of great choices. Like it just, it was that touch of mink or there was a Kim Novak movie where she, pretends to be a call girl while secretly being a psychology student who's trying to study men. And I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe the Kim Novak movie would have been better than, um, uh, than Doris Day pretending to be the virgin. She is so obviously not. Um, (laughs) That's what I asked Sonia at one point. I was like, are we supposed to assume that she's never yeah. had sex before. That she's never had sex before. Yeah. Yes, you are. Okay. Um, but but yeah, don't don't be mad at me just because I jumped on the year. You know that that I I want to make sure that we you know have all sorts of different themes, and you know we'd only done 
year themes twice before. And so it just, it felt like, all right, maybe it's time to return to this well. Um, But suffice to say, I don't think we'll, we'll ever, I don't think we're going to run out of ideas for themes uh, anytime soon. Um, And, you know, might as well get that touch of mink uh, out of the way. Um, And I will say, I really do think I got a good horror remix out of this one. I think, I think that I'm going to, or I'm hoping that while that touch of mink did not entertain either of us, that I will entertain you with my horror remix because I, I, I had a little smirk on my face the whole time I was writing this. <laughs> Very nice. I cannot wait. Um, yeah. So All right. Let's get through the bullshit first. <laughs> let's just uh, let's just get right into it. So we've got Kathy Timberlake, who is an unemployed New York City career woman. Uh, and she goes to the unemployment office to collect her check. There she is subjugated to the unwanted advances of Beasley, the clerk who deals... He's not even going to give her her unemployment money until he is pretty much almost sure that she's going to go out with him. That is pretty gross. Yeah, and she expertly just kind of like powers her way through that scenario where she's like give me my check and I'll tell you. And then he does. And she's like, nope. Um, So she meets Philip Shane after his Rolls Royce. Ooh, very fancy. Splashes her dress with mud while she is on her way to a job interview. Uh, Phil sees her outside and wants to make up for what happened. So he's a very nice guy. And yeah, but he still delegates it to someone else. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, in these kinds of circumstances, he's a nice guy. He he circles the block. She's not there. He he sends someone out to look for her. He he goes out of his way to to make amends. Um, and so the guy, his who's Phillips underling. Oh, Gig Young? I forget what his name yeah. is in the movie. It's just his Gig Young. So Gig so he sends Gig Young to um to this cafeteria where he, he gives her the apology. She throws it back in his face and he's like, you know what? You should actually do this to him. Brings him up as soon as she finds she's all pumped up, primed up, ready to go, ready to throw it back in his face that he did not come down to apologize in person. And as soon as she finds out that it's Cary Grant, she is all marbles in her mouth and she cannot form a coherent sentence. He is one handsome man. (laughs) I I do like that when Gig Young is pumping her up and she's like, yeah, I'm going to really let him have it. And he's like, this is no time to think of sex. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like there, there are some clever lines here and there, but it does nothing to make up for the steaming pile of shit. That's the plot. Yeah. uh, This is, this is one of those ones where I feel like I need a disclaimer at the beginning that I've talked about in the past where it's like disclaimer. These are some of the social norms at the times, like going to a priest at or a preacher or whatever at, 2 a.m. to get a marriage certificate so you can fuck. Like, I need to know <laughs> that context. Uh, but well, here... We're like 10 years away from the sexual revolution, essentially. There you go. But here it, it does seem like they're really going out of their way to push 
every hijinky scenario they can, but they're not even making the most out of it. No, like why? Here's one thing I feel like was a completely wasted opportunity. So he makes her take off her clothes because he's going to go get them dry cleaned and puts her in this coat and then invites her into this boardroom with a bunch of executives. And it's like the coat never comes off. There's never a funny mishap. There's never a moment where Cary Grant is shamed and embarrassed for obviously bringing the woman he's trying to fuck into a board meeting. Like there, right. like, like there's so many moments that could have like, if, if the movie were 10 years later, 20 years later, you could have had some great sex comedy moments. Yeah. I agree. This whole this whole movie. Also, was... Cary Grant phones it in here. Like, I feel like he's like half asleep through his entire performance. And like both him and Doris Day are really great rom-com actors. Like we've seen peak Doris Day where she's funny and charming. Mm-hmm. She's sexy. She's horny. Um, and Cary Grant is, you know, the ultimate gentleman and and you know he's incredibly witty in most of his rom-com roles and here they're just like flat soda i yeah i agree when i when i was watching it i told sonia at the very beginning like man Cary grant is just he's so effortless like it's just so nice to have Cary grant in a movie and he he makes it look so easy but then once, like, I wanted the plot to get going, <laughs> I, I did feel that there, there's some poolside conversations that he has later where I felt like the character was more aware of himself because it seemed like Cary Grant was just over it. You know what I mean? He seemed like, I, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, uh, Philip proposes a romantic affair to Kathy while she is holding out for marriage. So he kind of invites her on this romantic getaway. Um, and and also she pays for a new wardrobe, which she practically orgasms over. Right. Well, yeah, that's expensive. That's, <laughs> that's pretty nice. Um, She's more horny for clothes than Gary Grant. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, he he invites her into a board meeting uh, where she kind of like uses some of her womanly intuitiony type advice to say like, haven't you tried just talking to him? And then Cary Grant is just he he's very smitten with her and he wants to take her business advice else. Like you know he he wants to keep her around. And the best way to do that is um, is winding her and dining her. So he takes her to a Yankees game. This is the only scene that I really loved because I've been watching a lot of, um, I think I told you about this YouTube channel, John Boy. But oh, right. one, of, one of the things he does is uh, do play-by-plays of um, 
like fights uh, and, you know, when um, managers and people get kicked out of ball games. Like, I think baseball is so boring. Yeah. But I love when people get kicked out of games. And I love that Kathy gets the entire dugout kicked right. out of the game. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's also – it's a good way to – you know, show someone who's passionate about their thing. Like she says, I'm into baseball and it's like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, even if she was really into baseball, I I don't know. I just, I I like the fact that they put her in the dugout and then they make the most out of that scenario. So I, yeah, I agree that (laughs) this is one of the few times where the, um, where the scene they set up kind of pays off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So, (laughs) (laughs) so he's going to invite her to Bermuda. She wants him to invite her to Bermuda so that she can turn him down. Then she gets upset when he doesn't invite her to Bermuda because he has second thoughts and thinks I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't sully this. Am I using that word? Right. I, I shouldn't like sully this poor girl with my devious ways um and so then she ends up bullying him into offering her a trip to bermuda which she accepts knowing that he's going to want to sleep with her then she strings him along the entire night and when it comes down to the big moment she gets a nervous rash but then he plays it cool and he's yeah because like, it's gary grant Right. And he's like, no, it's cool. And so like, oh, all right, this guy's cool. But then we, we get this whole, <laughs> we get this whole scene where, okay, so then they both end up going back to New York, but then she's like, now he thinks that I'm not a real woman. So I'm going to, I'm, I am going to sleep with him. Now it's like out of spite. It's like just friends. Like she's doing it out of spite. Um, And so then she calls him from Bermuda and says, hey, come on down, DTF. And he's (laughs) like, all right, I'll be there in two hours. Let me fuel up the private jet. And then he shows up and she's drunk as a skunk. And he goes, you know what? Even though she really wants it, I'm going to be a gentleman. I'm going to help her. I'm going to help her walk it off. Uh, and she ends up falling off the balcony and and then i I, it should have been over before it even began yeah so i don't know so then i just feel like we've just got all this because then he ends up getting her a job and they think that she got the job because she slept with carrie grant So she accidentally turns on all the computers and mixes up all the reports or whatever on accident. She tanks the business. She tanks the business. Then she's worse than the, uh, the Redditors that killed that hedge fund. (laughs) But then Cary Grant is just like, now I really hate her. So then he goes out of his way to like, really, you know, give her what's on his mind, which is I tried to sleep with you twice and you, you wouldn't let me. So then she ends up going out with Beasley to marry him. 
And he's like, oh, wait, she wants to be with another man. I want to be with her. And so then he, he ends up. He doesn't even want to be with her. Gin <laughs> Young has to tell him, oh, by the way, the plot necessitates that you should still want to be with this woman yeah. who used to have sex with you twice. But the plot needs you to be with her. So get out of the shower right now and go chase her i wrote in my notes it's so confusing why these people should want each other yes that's how i feel about a lot of rom-coms no but But... i think some of them do a good job like again i know that that it's not fair to compare this to pillow talk but pillow talk gave us very compelling reasons why these two characters want to be together yeah, I, I I mean most I of it up, came down to they wanted to fuck, but Right. Um, I brought it I brought it up to Sonya too. I was like, "Wow, Pillow Talk was way more entertaining than this one." Um this one did have a couple of cool flourishes. I liked the fashion show when they cut using the coats and stuff, and then they cut to clever. her in the coat and it was kind of cool. The bed thing when she's like, "Oh my god, do they know?" and then it cuts to them like in bed. Everyone knows or whatever. Yeah. Like there were some cool touches in this movie. Um, Yeah. No, there's definitely some clever touches, but none of it is enough to make up for the fact that there is no story. There's Um, nothing. One thing I also wrote down, you know, you, you, you said that you need a disclaimer anytime you watch an old movie. Were you shocked to see the, like egregious open containers the so the guy that she's going with to the hotel is like hey i've got a bottle of wine and he's about to open this entire bottle of wine in the car and then pour it into some plastic cups i just as a 21st century person this boggles my mind like how many hit and run (laughs) accidents were there in 1962 yeah, uh, there, there's a couple things that are <laughs> that are pretty funny that um, that I liked. Um, but oh, also, I, Cary Grant has a great body for his age. Like when he steps out of the shower, and I mean, he's not like cut, but I think he's like in his sixties at this point. He's not yeah. a young man anymore, but he looks great. Yeah, Cary Grant is one good-looking guy. Um, but yeah, I don't like. I don't. I, I. I really don't have any. I really don't have anything bad to say about this movie. I don't have anything great to say about. I it. do. This movie didn't work for me. But it, like, it profoundly I, I think, didn't work for me. I think for the last forty minutes, I was just completely checked out. Yeah, I would say that that is pretty accurate. I just, like, the entire chase scene, it just, it doesn't work at all because he wasn't going to go. He wasn't interested in pursuing her anymore. He has to be convinced by the supporting character that he needs to chase after this woman. Right. I don't know. I, I guess part of my problem too is just that it makes him look dumb. That like he can't pick up on all these signals that she's clearly uncomfortable in in this kind of situation. You know what I mean? Like I thought it was 
I thought it was actually pretty sexy when he was like kissing her and he was yeah. like, Oh, we'll go as slow as you want, baby. And it was like, he's like, I'll tell you everything I'm going to do. And I was like, Ooh, that sounds Communication super sexy. Is key. Yeah. And then, uh, and then it, she just like, you I, like, you could feel that she just didn't want it. And so I was like, why, like, why wouldn't he feel that? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Because in 1962, when a man is horny, he's got to do what he's got to do, which is go outside but and that's sit all by the, the other pool men. and smoke cigarettes yeah. for two hours. That's all the other men. That's that's what I really, really, really found confusing about this movie was when he had those poolside chats because he seemed to be <laughs> like they'd come up and they'd go like, eh, women, I gave her the belt and now she won't give me anything I in bed. That. And, and Harry Grant just goes like, yeah, I smacked my woman and that's why she won't talk to me. But that's not true. That's not what happened. So it, to me, it feels like he's like making fun of humor. <laughs> right. To me, it feels like he's making fun of them. He's saying like, yeah, yeah, women, we should just be able to smack them around. Am I right? But it's like he's but that's not what he's doing because we know he's a gentleman. We know he's like going it's he's going it slow he's doing it consensual he's not you know he's not raping women while they're drunk he's such a good guy <laughs> uh <laughs> I, like i don't know i i just i just yeah i, I didn't like it <laughs> no i i would definitely say that it it, it didn't work for me and it it didn't like the ending too was very sappy. Yeah. He gets hives because now they're married and now he's nervous. So it's like, is this couple ever going to have sex? Yeah. Oh, and we have another Shira movie where the, the main male interest caveman carries the female away. How is that a, a mean movie signature? That just happened in two Doris Day movies. Uh, and I think there's got to be another one. That's a Doris Day thing. That's not a me thing. I don't think anybody right. needs to be physically carried. But in both Doris Day movies we've seen, yes, she's been caveman carried by her love interest. But I mean, you know, that... That tall drink of water, Rock Hudson, I, I don't know. I just, I think that Cary Grant and Doris Day were not meant to be in the same way that, you know, America tried to make us fall in love with Julia Roberts, with Hugh Grant. Because, mm. you know, in both cases, each of these individuals is a megastar in their own right. Um, as far as, you know, what they represent for romantic comedy as a genre. But then together, it's like oil and water. They just don't, they just don't mix. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I saw that touch of mink, I thought, ooh, a Doris, like another Doris Day movie. This should be Same fun. Here. And then, yeah, I saw Cary Grant and I was like, oh, yeah, this will be like, yeah. And it's in the Criterion and stuff. So I was like, oh, yeah, this will be. This will be a good one. Um, yeah, it just doesn't work, you know. But it's it's weird because I I don't think it's also the the time. Like again, Doris Day had Pillow Talk and and had several other movies that I think 
play better than this one. But then also around this time, Cary Grant, um, I don't know if it was like a like a couple years before or after this, probably after, he does the movie Charade, directed by Stanley Donnan with Audrey Hepburn. And he's great in it. And she's great in it. And then maybe it's because Audrey Hepburn tends to play really well against men who are like 20 years older than her. Um, but like they clicked and they have really great chemistry, uh, in the movie, but here it just doesn't work. And I do remember reading that, you know, when it came to working with Rock Hudson, him and Doris Day instantly were, you know, on the same page with each other. They really liked hanging out. They were really good friends. Uh, and what she said about Cary Grant was that, yeah, he's fine. He was professional, but we weren't friends. We didn't click or we didn't hang out on set or anything. And you can feel that in the movie and how they interact with each other. It just seems like it's, they don't like each other at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, I think you're right. I think that, some you think people, she's selling it softly and they actually can really each other? sell chemistry and some people just have chemistry. But yeah, I, I agree. These two just did not care for each other. <laughs> like they just, nope. they just were like, all right, yeah, let's get it done. Um, you said Berg, Bergdorf, Bergdorf Goodman. Right. Who's that? I don't know. I think it's a department store. It's like a. It's like oh, Barney's New York. You're right. Because uh, I noticed at the end of the credits, it said, "And thank you, Bergdorf Goodman, for being Bergdorf Goodman." It's just a store where hoity-toity, expensive people buy expensive things. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, who would you like to kill? All of them from this um, movie. No, you have to pick one. Honestly, I would probably, God, it's, I I want to kill Doris Day, even though I absolutely love her. But I also kind of want to put Gig Young out of his misery because the whole movie, he basically is crying out for help. And it's like, man, somebody needs to check up on this guy because he's probably going to commit suicide before he makes it back to Princeton. You know, this is, uh... This is, this is, um, what is, I don't know. I, I was very concerned for him. Very concerned for Gig Young. So I, I, I think Mer- Mercy killed Gig Young. Yeah. And hey, this is also another Shira movie where the therapist goes out and leaves during the middle of his session. How is that a me thing? <laughs> it was in, it was in, uh, there's something about Mary. I, this is just a rom-com thing. This is not a... Okay, if it's a me thing, then they have to have either tried to commit suicide in the past, or the movie has to also have murder in it with the romantic comedy for it to be a Shira thing. Because you know I like a little bitter with my sweet. Um, but uh, yeah, no, not not this movie. Okay, I will say one thing I really liked about this movie, and it just proves how long the, the hair up glasses cliche has been around. When Gig Young asks his assistant to take off her glasses and take down her hair, and she does not look better. <laughs> yeah. I, I did enjoy that. 
Yeah, that was, yeah. Um, so I, I also did think about Mercy killing uh, Gig Young, but I, I kind of want to go with the roommate who... Oh, Connie, who slaps yeah. the shit out of people for no reason. I really liked her first scene where they like are talking through the cafeteria doors and mm-hmm. she's giving her the food and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. They got this nice little rapport going and stuff. But then once... Once she starts giving her advice, that's like, no, I, I want, yeah, I want them to, they like each other. Why are you giving her, like, she just, it's not that she gives her bad advice. Cause that's what rom-com friends do sometimes. I get it. But like, she just doubles down. She triples down. She quadruples down on all this bad advice. And then boom, she's like, oh no, you got, you got to take it. I take it all back. You got to go meet the, this guy. You like him so much. Just let Kathy be slutty. I feel like yeah. this whole this whole thing where it's like, oh, Kathy's a good girl, but men are always trying to have affairs with her just does not work for me because Doris Day is clearly not a virgin. So why why play her like one? But I mean, it, it had a lot to do with her image at the time. And maybe to 1962 audiences, it, it felt a little bit more believable. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so I'm curious if you should go first or if we should save the best for last when it comes to remixes. Were you not inspired by this terrible movie? I had a really hard time with this one. (laughs) I had a really hard time. Well, why don't don't we go ahead and and hear yours and then I'll I'll try to wrap things up by giving you a, a little bit of entertainment. Okay, that sounds good, because mine is also kind of dark. Uh, <laughs> I think called, mine's kind of funny. It's called That Touch of Men. <laughs> and so these are going to be soft pitches. These are almost going to be like trailer pitches, like I'm pitching okay. you the trailer instead of the whole movie. Uh, and basically the premise that I have for both of these movies is if – the main lady has sex with a guy, then he dies. And Hmm. so the rom-com one's going to be a lot nicer and more PG than that. But for the horror one, I was like, all right, so what would the, what would the bad thing be if you had sex with someone and they died? The bad thing would be like having to relive that. You know what I mean? Like, I think, uh, Cat would be a poor American woman, and we would start off the movie with this mystery and this like scandal and danger where Cary Grant, who's a British lawyer, comes in and he has to come in to tackle this high profile case that's like super under wraps. And the case is about Cat, who, when she has sex with people, they die. <laughs> so, like, there's there's a lot of questions that you probably have about that, but wouldn't that be weird to like undergo all of these personal questions that are specifically geared against you? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the things that I want to take from that touch of mink are like the, the 1962 sort of fast talking kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of stuff you could do on a courtroom, you know, witnesses and stuff of like fast talking. 
that would be really cool. I think like phone friendships in this movie. She talks to uh, Connie on the phone a lot. And right. so I think you could have friendships where like people are calling her and giving her advice, but it's advice that like she can't use. Ooh, you could open the movie like Michael Clayton where Connie's on the phone talking to Doris Day while Doris Day is fucking some guy to death. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, And so it's like, yeah, so people are calling her and trying to give her legal advice or trying to just give her any advice, but it's advice that she cannot take. I think uh, the, the idea of going around to different cities like this whole idea that Doris Day is being slut shamed because she's taking a vacation with a guy onto a couple different cities. Uh, maybe there's something there of like her every time she goes to a new city to get a new trial that's unbiased. They uncover some dirt about her that re- brings up all these things from her past. So essentially what they're doing is they're just dragging out the trial, trying to make her go through it every single time. Um, talking about it without talking about it. So this is 1962, so they can't say a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, they can't say that they're all dying after she has sex with him. Right. So I, I imagine a lot of like the frustration would be like, tell us about this event, and then you can't use any of the words that you would have to to describe like what the person did to you. Uh, so that would be scary. And then, I, I don't know, like at, at the end of the movie, we we have some sort of lesson about the abuse of the legal system and systemic power. And I, I don't know what happens to her. Uh, and in the sad version, she goes to jail and the happy version, she gets away. <laughs> What if if she does a a usual suspects where, you know, like when Kevin Spacey goes poof, thin air. Yeah. And she's gone. And she, yeah, she disappears from the public eye and the private eye. And you don't, and you don't know where she's gone. She could be anywhere. I'd like her to get away with it. If, if I were a producer for your film, I, I would want the ending where she gets away with it. Unless the test audiences hate that ending and demand that she's punished. Could be. Yeah. I just figured like having a, a, a movie where you have to go on trial for stuff that's not your fault would kind of be scary. You know, like, like that Mm -hmm. Brazil, that idea of Brazil of being in a system where you're just a cog in the machine and it doesn't matter what you do. The system's just going to chew you up and spit you out. So yeah, very very nihilistic, like uh, Michael Clayton. <laughs> yeah, we'll have, I like. We'll that. have some good Clayton monologues. Uh, so how about how about yours? I can't wait to have some fun with this one. Well, I think it's fun, but I mean, we'll leave it up to you to decide if my dark humor is fun. Uh, I decided to call mine "Don't Touch My Meek." Okay. And I think that if this were a real movie, I'd love for it to have kind of a frame narrative of Gig Young talking to his therapist about the events, kind of like, you know, in Frailty when they have those scenes with Matthew McConaughey and uh, what is it, Rip Torn is the other guy. Um, so, yeah, a frame narrative of because Gig Young is traumatized 
by the events that we're about to relate. So Kathy, in this version, still a down-on-her-luck single lady looking for a job in NYC when she's splashed by this limo. And then, of course, she meets Mr. Shane, who takes an immediate and suspicious interest in Kathy. They fall in love within a day, and nobody acts like this is weird. Well, I'm calling it. It's weird. Um, And then Mr. Shane also immediately intuits that Kathy is obsessed with two things, money and marriage. Whoa. She's going to do anything to get it. He decides to use this to his advantage. So Mr. Shane convinces Kathy to go to Bermuda with him to his private island just off the coast of the main chain of islands. Kathy is just beside herself with excitement. And, you know, I would want to make the Bergdorf scene more sexual, like she's actually getting, you know, turned on by touching the mink. You know, this is is hot, hot stuff. Um, And then they get to the island and it seems like they're having this lovely time together. And then Mr. Shane takes Kathy to the master bedroom, which this is an important detail, has French doors that open to a garden that leads directly to the beach. Kathy thinks that they're going to have sex, so she's really nervous. But then Mr. Shane turns to the bar and removes a hunting rifle from a secret compartment. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy Kathy gasps. Uh, And then Mr. Shane says in that Cary Grant voice, Kathy, Um, (laughs) I can't can't do the voice. Uh, I didn't bring you here to have sex with you. I brought you here to hunt you. Oh, no. Ready or not. I'm a gentleman, so I'll give you a head start. Because he is a gentleman. Um, Kathy surprises him by saying, okay, but we're going to talk about this hobby of yours after we're married. Uh, And then she sprints off before he can respond. So... Mr. Shane hunts around the island for Kathy, but, you know, she's more wily and athletic uh, than he gave her credit for. And I would imagine that while he's trying to kill her, there's also some verbal sparring. So, like, maybe Mr. Shane is aiming his scope at Kathy and then hits the tree that she's next to instead. And he's shouting, we're not going to get married. Uh, And then Kathy says, oh, well, I wish you'd reconsider. I'm hoping for a sable mink coat in addition to the brown one. And then maybe Mr. Shane will try to jab at her with his bayonet and say something like, you won't need a mink coat in hell. Um, This is a horror movie. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) I don't know if it's if it's the way you're saying it or the way I'm I'm picturing it, but I picture like a Looney Tunes cartoon. (laughs) I picture like Foghorn Leghorn and Bugs Bunny. Maybe. No, I, I mean, I, 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 he is trying to kill her. And, you know, maybe a horror thing would be like, as Kathy's wandering around the island, maybe she finds his trophy room and sees all these women's heads, you know. But the whole point of this is none of this phases Kathy. Kathy has found her mark and she wants more mink coats, damn it. Um, so let's, let's just say that, that Kathy manages to escape the island and make it back to New York. And when she gets back home to her roommate, she says, I think I'm in love. Mm. 
and you know, Mr. Shane, he's just furious that he lost his quarry, but he decides he doesn't want to deal with crazy Kathy again. Uh, and his assistant George is just happy that somebody got away. He's he's starting to have hope that yeah. that you know he might be able to get out of this impossible situation where he's working for a billionaire serial killer. Um, but then Kathy comes back to Mr. Shane's office with a binder with their wedding plans. Mm. <laughs> and he's shocked uh, and outraged. And he tries to kick her out of the building. And she says, that's not a way to treat your fiance. Uh, and then she goes back um, into the building and messes with the machines, causing Mr. Shane's business to tank and for him to lose a shit ton of money. And, you know, and maybe he was slightly amused by her before, but you mess with his money. Now you get the horns. This is a Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> with more violence. Um, <laughs> uh, Looney Tunes is pretty violent. Well, just wait, just wait till the ending. I like it. I like it so far. He, he can, he could have, he could tolerate everything up until this moment. So then Mr. Shane goes to Kathy's apartment. He learns that she's left with another guy. Mr. Shane chases them to a roadside motel and busts in the motel room to see that Kathy has actually taken this man hostage. And Kathy says, sweetheart, you made it. I've been thinking you don't have to give up hunting altogether, but hunting women is just not the thing. Uh, I thought maybe we could give it a go with this one. She got him a present. Yeah. Um, and then Mr. Shane backhands Kathy, causing a little blood to get on her mink coat. Kathy loses it. Oh, no. How dare you get blood on my coat? Don't touch my mink. Um, and before Mr. Shane can react, Kathy has an ice pick shaped instrument. Um, I think it's called an or orbo orbitoclast, um, but the lobotomy instrument. And she jabs it precisely through the corner of Mr. <laughs> Shane's eye. Uh, and then Kathy says, you know, I didn't want to do that, but you've really left me no choice. Tomorrow we'll go back to Bergdorf. Uh, and then she ushers him into the, she ushers the now subdued Mr. Shane into his limo and just sighs with joy. And then a single bloody tear rolls down Mr. Shane's face as Kathy clutches his arm and says, I think we're going to be really happy together. Aww, it's a nice ending. They get together. He was lobotomized. Yeah, but... He also got blood on her mink coat, so yeah. he deserved it. Yeah, I was going to say uh, when he slaps her, he should he should regular slap her, and that draws a little bit of blood, and then she's into it, and then he's like, "Oh, you're sick," and then backhands her, and that's when the blood flies on the mink, and then that's when she goes crazy. Right. You know, I've yeah. been I've been I've been restraining myself <laughs> for a while from doing a cat versus cat. But I just, I loved the idea of a woman so obsessed with luxury and marriage that she wouldn't care about any red flag. Yeah. No, yeah, that's a good, that's, so, sometimes our, our our remixes are really just re-pitches. <laughs> or we re-pitch, because that's a, that's a very good rom-com 
You wrote a very good rom-com. If if it no. is a if it is a no, Looney Tunes rom- cartoon and 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 people aren't really getting killed or in danger and he can like shoot her in the face and then she can just have like that blown up hair black charcoal face where it's like ah you just shot me in the face but i'm okay i think one rom-com that ends in a lobotomy i will find one (laughs) if i can't i will make one (laughs) (laughs) Um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest the musical oh yeah that would be a good one um yeah, so I, I do I do like yours. I thought you had a very cool, <laughs> a very Are cool. Are you entertained? I am. I thought that was great. <laughs> um, yeah. So, moving on to housekeeping. Housekeeping. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can also email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail Please follow us, subscribe us, rate rate us on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts. We are in all the places. Yeah, and we love it. And we love it. Even when we hate the movies that we talk about. Um, and who knows, maybe there's somebody out there who's just a diehard touch of mink stan. Um, <laughs> I mean, we still want to hear from you in any case. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get into our love bites, our recommendations. What do you got for us this week, Brett? Mm, well, uh, I, I mentioned that I played Shadow of the Colossus on one of our our episodes that we recently recorded, and I moved on to tr- to Last Guardian, which is the third oh. of that series. And while the game had some of the most frustrating controls I've ever dealt with in a video game. I've heard that critique of Last Guardian. I, like, it's not, I I understand the fact that this is a little boy who is not an adventurer. So he's going to control a little bit differently. I understand that the Trico, the, the cat, bird, dog, animal, is, acts on his own. So you're not, controlling the character you're controlling you're not controlling the the pet the trico you're controlling the character giving the pet commands sometimes he does what you want him to do and sometimes he doesn't and that's interesting that leads to to some funny scenarios but i mean god damn there's so much tight walking in this game and there's like no walk button (laughs) and so i just kept falling off of everything and I couldn't see where I was going because I was constantly running around. It was so frustrating. However, however, this is easily my favorite of the three really? T.I.C.O. movies. Easily. I got to hang out with a giant cat, dog, bird creature for like 12 hours. And it was so great. And there were some times where like the game would glitch out and mess up in ways that I don't want to like spoil, but like sometimes it wouldn't save me when I was supposed to be saved, but then sometimes he would. And then sometimes this would happen. And sometimes that would happen. And like, I wasn't getting frustrated at the dog, at the cat, at the Trico, because I loved him so much. And I just wanted to hang out with him. And anytime my cats did anything while I was playing the game, I was like, you're such a Trico. (laughs) And then I wondered if my cat could actually 
go on an adventure with me and be capable of doing things <laughs> to help me. Or if you just sit there and go, eh, you're on your own, buddy. Um, but yeah, I thought this game was beautiful. I thought this game was amazing. It's better than the last guardian. I mean, or sorry, better than shadows of the Colossus. Yeah. Yeah. Strong uh, endorsement. I really, I mean, I, I like the gameplay of shadow of the Colossus a lot, but again, that's kind of the game where you can't, you, I, a lot of these games are games where you can't get it back. You know what I mean? You play it once. And that that majesty of seeing something for the first time and not knowing how to overcome it and then slowly overcoming it, you only get that once. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment. I, I'm just uh, surprised that you, you know, you've, I guess they're they're shorter games. Uh, I'm still playing Final Fantasy 15. <laughs> it's, more, it's more like I think about playing it and then right. I do something else. Um, but for all purposes, I am uh, essentially still in the middle of that game. Yeah, no, I liked Shadow and Last Guardian because after playing a bigger game like God of War, I was like, no, just give me a beginning, an end, and don't make me grind my way there. <laughs> I agree, yeah. I I like to to go between, you know, big sandboxy games to ones that are more straightforward, more theme park ride experience where I'm just going to go through it. Yeah. So, how about you? What's your love bite? So, Touch of Mink, not a modern movie, and definitely not reinventing the wheel or doing anything different or unique, um, aside from a few visual flourishes. But I have watched a romantic comedy recently that I think is very original, and not like any other movie I've seen. And it's a movie that is called The Lovers. Uh, as of this recording, it's available on uh, Netflix. It is about a married couple and they are older. They, their son is college aged and both husband and wife are cheating on each other. And they have both told their respective lovers that they are going to announce to their wife or their husband during this trip that their son is coming home, that it's all over and that they're divorcing. And we aren't sure because it's very ambiguous whether or not the husband and wife are aware that they've been cheating on each other mm -hmm. and that it's, you know, become these serious relationships. But just at the point where they've told their lovers that they are going to end it all, then they start to reconnect with each other mm. and we aren't sure. And it, it, and, and it becomes this, um, this kind of double deception where now the husband and wife are cheating on their lovers, but with each other. Uh, and I, I found it to be a really charming movie. It has a really lush orchestral soundtrack or, or score mm. that, that seems to, contradict sort of the mediocrity and mundanity like you would definitely describe this couple as norm core or they you know they live in a split level they have bland corporate jobs they're not young anymore 
Um, but they've been a couple for so long that they can communicate with each other without speaking. They understand each other on a level that only comes with time. Uh, I won't ruin the end of the movie, but I, 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 I found it worked for me really well. Uh, and I just, I, I enjoyed the lovers a lot. Uh, and I would recommend it to anyone who's looking for a romantic comedy that's different. Okay. Okay. I think, uh, I think my mom recommended this movie to me. Really? <laughs> yeah. She likes, she likes this kind of stuff too. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll have to check that out. Cause when I saw the pitch for it or when I saw the log line for it, I was like, eh, you know, I'm not immediately sold, but, um, but hearing you talk about it like that makes me much more interested. Yeah. I think it's really well done. And because, you know, these are seasoned actors. If I recall correctly, I think Deborah Winger is the wife. You know, Mm -hmm. they are masters when it comes to micro expressions. And, you know, I feel like every time I've gone to Austin Film Society, somebody has to ask a question about showing versus telling in a movie. And Mm -hmm. this movie is 100% show. Uh, It's not not interested in telling you anything. It just shows you. And it's this is a movie that is not for people who are uncomfortable with ambiguity, because uh, a lot of the movie, what what people are thinking and feeling is completely ambiguous. All right. I got you. But I like that. It worked for me. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all for the first part of our time travel to 1962. Touch you later. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.